immediate vicinity around the city of London. It's true, isn't it, that we've got almost sort of innumerable churches kicking about the place, don't we? Like even in the sort of area around the church, we've got uh, lots of Anglican churches. Uh, we've got Lutheran churches. Even in the area around here, we've got Catholic churches. And, you know, because of that, we've got lots of churches that, that have different ways of doing things. Don't we? You know, they've got different ideas about stuff. They've got different ways of worshipping. Uh, different traditions. And, and, and because of that, it kind of all raises this, this big question for us. Why, here's the question, why in here, why in a Reformed Presbyterian church, why do we do things the way that we do them? In the life of LCPC, why do we do things the way that we do them in here? You see what I mean? Like, why am I not standing before you just now wearing big clerical robes and and, and stuff like that? Or, you know, why do we not have more kind of ceremony? Why is there not more smoke? And sort of smells and that sort of stuff. Why do we have the Bible so prominent in, in our service? Why is there, why is there all this preaching in the life? Why do we do things in here? Why do we do things the way that we do them? Well, this morning we come to this very well-known portion of scripture about Eutychus, a guy who falls out of a window and he falls to the ground. Now, it's a passage of scripture that, uh, that pastors can use uh, to warn of the perils of falling asleep uh, during sermons. And it is a passage of scripture that congregations can use to warn pastors of the perils of preaching too long on a, on a Sunday a Sunday morning. But in all seriousness, it is, a, it is a passage of scripture that serves to inform us of the priorities and the principles that should exist in the worship of the church. So, with this theme in mind, you see the sermon heading, why we do what we do. With that in mind, I would invite you to have Acts chapter 20 open in front of you this morning. Acts chapter 20 and from verse 1 to verse 12. And if you've got that there, if you have God's holy word in front of you, let's consider the first of a few things. First of a few headings. Let's consider, first of all, the hearing of God's word. The hearing of God's word. Okay. Were you here last week, last Sunday? If you were, um, you'll remember what we saw. You'll remember, I think, even the bits that I read there, the, what was it, the assembling and the dispersing of a riot of a crowd in Ephesus. And we saw that last week. Well, this time around, you'll see at the start of uh, chapter 20, you'll see that this very long journey that Paul takes from that place where the, the riot was, from Ephesus, he takes this long, long journey to a place called Troas, and that is a journey that we'll come back to later on. But for the moment, see that in Troas, what we've got, and what you've got a picture, is what seems to be a regular meeting of the church that's taking place in Troas. You know, the third floor in the upper room, a regular meeting of a church in Troas. And if you like, here we've got a guest preacher. Because Paul, it seems, has been sort of invited to come along and address this worship service. Now, that's what we've got. Now, it's actually when that takes place that I want you to see. So, do me a 
favour, if you would, if your Bible is open, please look at verse 7. When does it take place? It says that these people got together on the first day of the week. So on the first day of the week, we came together. Now, 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 that's not as straightforward as it might seem. That could mean a couple of things, the first day of the week. Because we know, don't we, that, that in the ancient world, there was a couple of ways of reckoning time. There was the Jewish way of reckoning time, which would mean that that there, this meeting of the church in Troas, took place on a Saturday. So there was the Jewish way of reckoning time. But there was also the Roman way of reckoning time. And that would mean that this meeting in Troas took place on a Sunday. Now, wait a minute, what do we know? We've been going through Acts. What do we know? We know that Luke uses the Roman way of reckoning time. Don't we? Do you remember when Peter and John went to the temple uh, at the time of prayer? And then Luke says, which was the ninth hour. He's using the Roman way of reckoning time. So what, we're do- what we've got here is the people of God gathering together on a Sunday. Okay? Do you see? Wait a minute. Do you see the significance, man? The significance of what you, what that verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Do you see the, the significance of this? One commentator says this. I'll read it to you. He says, what you have got in front of you in verse 7 there is the first unambiguous evidence for the Christian practice of gathering together to worship on a Sunday. What you've got there is the very first time that we have in scripture Notice that the church said, no, we're different from Jews. We're not going to worship on the same day as the Jews. We are going to separate ourselves. We worship Christ. We are going to worship on the, we're going to worship on a different day. And it's something that we see elsewhere in scripture. And it's something that we see throughout church history. The people of God met together on the first day of the week. I've got a question for you. Why? Why didn't the people in Troas get together in that upper room Wednesday by Wednesday? Why didn't they get together on a Thursday? Like, what was so special about this? I mean, what's so special about the first day of the week? And I tell you, hear this, hear it. The people of God did this because of what we learn in Luke chapter 24. That on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what? And they found it empty. We meet on a Sunday because Jesus is risen from the dead. The church throughout the centuries have met on a Sunday. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, the Father raised, in that cold tomb, the Father raised his son to life, and his heart, his heart started beating again. And blood started pumping through his body. The people in Troas were together in that room. Why? Because they knew that their Savior was risen. Think about Paul and Eutychus. The church has throughout the centuries, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, met to proclaim what? He is alive. He is alive. But the truth is that we are here this morning 
for a whole different vast array of reasons. Isn't it? Isn't that true? Why are you at church this morning? I'm at church this morning because I feel a sense of duty, maybe feel a sense of responsibility. I'm at church because I'm on a rota, and I would do anything not to be on the rota. But I'm on the rota, so I kind of feel I've got to be at church. I'm at church because I'm made to be here. I'm at church. But I couldn't even tell you why I'm at church. Friends, I'm saying to you this morning, let what you've got there, let that shatter any apathy that you have for coming into this building. We are here because today is a day of resurrection. We are here today because this is Lord's day. We are here in this place because, yes, Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself, but we are here because he's risen. We're forgiven, we're saved, we're redeemed by his blood. So I'm asking you this morning to take church and to emboss it into your weekly routine, you know. Take church and to make this a habit of your entire life, like the people that throw us, to be here to see miracles of new life. Why? Not because of guilt. I mean, not because, oh, got a sense of duty. Be here because of Jesus. I mean, be here because he is not dead. We are here to worship Jesus. We are here to listen this morning to Jesus. We are here because we have a risen, a risen Lord. Okay. Secondly, let's consider the importance of the word. The importance of the word. Okay, so we've seen that the church in Troas, in the upper room, the third floor, that they are meeting together on a Sunday. Their, their saviour is risen. But let's get to Eutychus. Uh, falling asleep during the preaching. And because of that, you've got to be on your guard a wee bit as well, don't you, this morning? Especially since you've all lost an hour of sleep. And uh, there's the danger that as we look at you to kiss, if you're sort of feeling a bit drowsy just now and sort of drifting off, there's always a danger that the minister might use you as an illustration for a point here about you to kiss. Uh, I promise you I won't do that. But like, do you not, do you not feel sorry in some ways for, for you to kiss? Do you? Like I, I feel sorry for you to kiss. I mean, there's no sort of blame attached to this guy in the text. But the first thing you've got to be aware of about Eutychus is that he is a boy. He's a boy. Like the word that is used in the original language, it could mean that Eutychus is a slave. Much more likely, you're dealing, Eutychus is a little boy. More likely it is a boy, the word would mean a boy between the ages of eight and 14. Just a kiddie, you know? And we've got a picture Eutychus in this sort of a large, I think, crowded, a stuffy room. And I say that because we're told, Luke makes it very specific that there are lamps in the room. Did you notice that? And why else is he telling us that other than the fact that we've got to know that it's stuffy in there, you know? Like it's smoky and it's, and it's hot and, and you've got Eutychus. 
and you know you sing in the windowsill if you like, right? And Paul's talking. I mean, Paul's preaching. You can moan at me, like, but Paul, come on, you know, like Paul preached and and preached and and preached and and and, and Eutychus, you can see me slowly falling asleep, and he, and he and eventually drifts off and he falls out of a window, third-story building, and he falls to the ground. Now, get this, get this. He is dead. He is, de- he is not unconscious. And he's not just appearing as though he is dead. This little boy is dead. Now, how, can, how can it be so confident or sure about that? Well, Scripture tells us, so that's, that's one. But also remember this. Luke, who is the author, is there. At this point in Troas, Luke is there. And do you remember last week from Colossians what Luke's job was? Can you remember what Luke's profession was? That's right. You've got eyewitness detail here from a doctor. So, Eutychus, he's dead. I mean, he's a goner. He is out of it. And then what we see is the Apostle Paul come down the stairs. And in the manner of Elijah, do you remember this? Do you remember in the manner of Elisha, Paul stretches himself out over this little boy and the Holy Spirit works. And this this little boy is brought to life. Here's my question for you. It's the same question as last time. Why? Like there's not, do you see what I mean? Or not? I mean, there's not enough of uh, instances of resurrection in the, in the New Testament, very few of them. Why here? I mean, why in this instance, in Acts chapter 20, why is the Holy Spirit acting in such a way to raise this little boy to life? What's good? Why? You ready for it? I think part of the reason for this miracle is to underline, hear this, the importance of preaching in the New Testament church. Part of the reason, you get your head around this? Part of the reason for raising Eutychus to life is to emphasize the importance of preaching in the New Testament church. Like you can see, I'm sure if you're following this, you can see that there was a huge emphasis on preaching in that worship service in Troas, can't you? It's kind of obvious. But think about it. Like, they're worshipping Jesus on the Lord's Day. What would they have been doing in that room? They'd have been singing, wouldn't they? That church gathering, and they would have been praying together, and all that sort of stuff, wouldn't they? None of that's mentioned. Only stuff that's mentioned is the breaking of bread, and preaching is, is mentioned, and then you see the extent of which preaching is highlighted here. I mean, Paul talks for a long doesn't he? When we don't know when he started, but he preached for hours. He preached through to to midnight. Do you see that the emphasis, the stress is on the preaching in that worship service? And then do you see how this miracle of Eutychus underlines or increases the emphasis on preaching? Do you see it? If not, I ask you to do something. Picture it. They're in that upper room and a little child falls out of the window and he falls down dead. Now his parents would have been there, wouldn't they? You not think so? Imagine that. Screaming the terror. 
Imagine the church family at that point. Imagine how horrendous that would have been. What do they do? And we're not told, but surely they run down the stairs from that third floor, don't they? And they run down and they, they get down in that courtyard and there's Eutychus's body. And it's confirmed he's, he's dead. And Paul sort of gets to the front of the crowd and he sort of, he, he comes, he stretches himself and he, and he brings the child to life. Imagine that. What did they do? What did they do? What does the whole church do? Do you know what they do? They turn round. They walk up, back into the room. They take their seats again. And they listen to preaching once again. And they listen to Paul preach until the break of day. One commentator says about these verses, get this. He says that the centerpiece of this account is not the miracle of Eutychus. The centerpiece of this account is the preaching of God's holy word. That is what this is about. And because of that, I say to you this morning, very often in here, we desire for more fireworks, don't we? In reform worship, don't we? I'm like, Andy, where's the tongues, man? You know, where, where, where's more of the, the, the gifts? I mean, boy, it's a bit stained, it's conservative. Why are we not doing this? You know, where's the prophecy? And, and where's the healing? Why are we not trying to raise people to life? Why is that not happening? Friends, think about it. Even when the apostolic church did have the power to raise people to life. Their focus wasn't on that. Even when they had the power, their focus was on the preaching of God's word. It wasn't on gifts. It wasn't on tongues. It wasn't on healing. It was on the thorough exposition of God's word. So I'm asking you this morning, not just to come and change your view of church and view it through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to pray for your soul and to pray for an enlightenment and a desire and a thirst for preaching. Pray for that. Pray. Because I'm telling you this. You see this account in Acts chapter 20. It is miraculous. Not just because of Eutychus. This is miraculous. Because what you have got at Troas is a congregation of God's people who are hungry for God's word. So we see the importance of the word. Thirdly, when you consider the function of God's word. Function of God's word. I think it's a common perception perhaps maybe here in England, uh, that Scottish people are backwards. That Scottish people are just backwards folks, you know. And I'm sort of beginning to go along with that, you know. Uh, beginning to think that's possibly right. Because what I do just now is to go backwards. And to go at the beginning of this account. I remember I said there's this journey from Ephesus to Troas. I just want to think about that for, for a moment. And if you look at it, if you have got your Bible there, like you don't have to read it in lots of detail, but just skim the beginning of the chapter. Look at that. From verse 1 to 6, you've got an awful lot of detail about this journey, don't you? 
like we're told that Paul leaves Ephesus after this riot. He goes to Macedonia. So he goes to those cities. If you've been here for the series, Paul's going to those churches in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. Then he goes down to Corinth. Incidentally, um, when he's in Corinth, we're told there that he spends three months in Corinth. Those, we think, are the three months where he writes uh, the glorious letter to the Romans, the Roman church. That's what he does when he's in Corinth there. Then after that, we hear of this plot. You see Satan's hand in it all. We read of a plot uh, where the Jews are threatening to kill or trying to kill Paul, probably as he sails from, or planning to kill him as he sails from Corinth to Israel. So what he does is he changes his plan. He says, okay, I'll not sail. I'll travel back through the interior and I'll travel all the way right round, retrace my steps, and I'll come back to Troas. Okay, so that's what happens. My question for you, ready? What is he doing as he travels? That's, that's a long trip. What's, I mean, he's not backpacking. So what is he doing? And he's not planting churches. We've seen an awful lot of that. He's not doing that. I mean, think about it. He's, he's going to... Philippi, he's going to Berea, he's going to Thessalonica. He's already planted churches. What is he doing? Friends, what we have to understand, and this is crucial for this portion of scripture, is that at this point, Paul is embarking on a ministry of encouragement. That's what this is about. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Paul sent for the disciples and after, verse 1, after encouraging them, Look at verse 2. If you've got the Bible there, look at verse 2. So Paul travelled through the area. He's doing what? Speaking words of encouragement. Then, remember what an inclusio is. Remember we talked about this before, where a section is bracketed by the same theme to emphasise it. Look at how it ends. Look at verse 12. The end of verse 12, it says, the people were greatly Comforted, that is the same verb. The section begins and it ends with this dramatic theme of Paul encouraging people. I want to ask you this. Is that not, at this point in your life, in your Christian walk, one of your greatest needs? Do you not this morning need to be encouraged by the Lord your God? As you seek to live as a Christian in the workplace and at university, as you seek to live amongst unbelieving people, do you not this morning, do you not at this point in your life need to be spiritually, divinely encouraged? Hear this. The word that is used for encouragement literally means much speaking. It means many words. Do you see what we're being told? Paul traveled around these places. He built up believers. How? By preaching. He encouraged his fellow believers. He strengthened them in the Lord. He matured them by opening God's word and by preaching to them. This was a word-based encouragement and I want you to see, I'm so desperate for you to see this morning that, that proper encouragement, you know, Lasting encouragement is only going to come to you 
under the word of God. You are only going to need that which you so desperately need this morning if you are exposed to the word. Do you see why? It's only in the word that you are going to understand more about God's grace to you. It's only if you are here and are exposed to the word of God that you are going to realize that, wait a minute, you see that sin that you committed this week that you cannot believe you have committed because you're a Christian. In the word, in the word, you're going to hear that in Christ, he's covered that. You are forgiven in Christ that that is God. You'll be encouraged because in the word, you are going to hear that God, now listen, God is pleased with you. Yes, you, you as a Christian. God delights this morning in you. You as a Christian are the apple of God's eye. Do you see the encouragement? That is why we need to be here We need to be at the house groups. We need to be in scripture so that the Holy Spirit can comfort us so that the people of God can be encouraged. Don't we need that encouragement? Do we not need that encouragement? So that the people of God can be encouraged and encouraged through the word. Fourthly and lastly, We've seen the hearing of the word, the importance of the word, the function of the word. I want to end just with a, with a word on the accompaniment to the word. The accompaniment to the word. Okay. Let's go back into the room in Troas. So the people of God are gathering together. Let's go into that room again. I want to reiterate what I said a moment ago. There's a lot going on in there that we are not told about, surely. They're, praying, they're singing praise to Jesus. They're praying, surely. We should note what else on top of preaching is highlighted. So again, I ask you to look to verse 7. On the first day of the week, <laughs> we came together to break bread. So, whether it is in the context of a fellowship meal or not, we know that in that room in Troas, they got together and they partook in the Lord's Supper. <laughs> they celebrated communion together. Now, we're talking just now about why we do things the way that we do them. And if there's anything that the world would view as weird about what we do, in fact, I think... The world would view everything that we do at LCPC as a wee bit weird. But if there's any one particular thing that the world would view as very strange about our services, it is surely what we are about to do. Isn't that the case? You know, somebody came off the street here in London and they came in here and they saw us passing around little tiny bits of bread and a cup. And I was like, these guys are weirdos. You know, what are they doing? So I ask you, Why are we doing what we're about to do? Or I'll put it another way. Why were the people in Troas in that room, why were they breaking bread together? Now, part of the reason is surely out of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, now you have to hear me on this. 
Jesus Christ has commanded his church that until he returns, we are supposed to gather together like this. We are supposed to have this symbolic meal. Why? To remember the fact that Jesus Christ has died. That his ministry wasn't just some miracles. His ministry wasn't just a few parables and stories. That, that he didn't just sort of suffer a little bit. That the church of Jesus Christ is to remember that nails were driven through his hands and his feet. That we are supposed to remember that he was executed. That we are supposed to remember that Jesus Christ bled and that Jesus Christ died. But what I want you to see as we end is really the relationship between these two things that are highlighted in in Acts chapter 20. That get this, preaching and the Lord's Supper, that these things belong together. That we will never in this church, because I would get rebuked thoroughly, we will never in this church celebrate communion without first having the preaching of God's word. Do you see why? It's because only in preaching do we understand what kind of death this was. It's only first when God's words open up and expounded do we realize this death was a sacrificial death. This death was an atoning death for our sin. This death was a substitutionary death, a death for for you. And when we work that out, when we understand that, what we realize, friends, is that this here is not just a remembrance. This today is a celebration. We are giving thanks this morning. Why? Because this is a death to bring us life. Think about Paul and Eutychus. That what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, spiritually speaking in his death, as he's laid upon you. And he has imputed into you his righteousness. And he has taken upon himself your sin as a Christian. Think about Paul and Eutychus. That now because of this death, the angels of heaven, they sing and they look at you and they say, what were the words here? They can say of you in Christ, don't be alarmed. He is alive. Don't be alarmed. She is alive. And she's alive because of Jesus and because of what we are about to do. And friends, this morning we've seen a lot about why we do what we do. I hope you see that we do what we do because of the word of God. That you see that we do what we do because of Jesus. We do what we do because he has done everything for us. He has done everything needed for our salvation. So I ask you, are you a believer? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him? Are you a Christian this morning? Then you come here. This is where you belong. You belong here. One day, do you know what? Not so very far away from now, I think. We, you and I as Christians, are going to meet together for another meal. 
we will get together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. But until that time comes, our Lord has said to us, you go there and you remember what I have done. So you get up, you come, and you worship, worship the Lamb who was slain. Let's pray.